Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. Starbucks workers strike at over 100 locations in the country. Machinists taking a bite out of the apple. And today on the show, the latest from the American Legion and the Alliance for Retired Americans. Welcome to the Friday, November 18th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Jeff Stouffer is going to be our first guest on the show today on behalf of the American Legion. For complete updates, go to legion.org. This is the time we preview the next month's edition. They've got a heck of a story about the Exxon oil spill that happened in 1989. But first, we're going to delve in to the problem of getting vets connected into the private workforce. This is an ongoing issue. And I want to take you back a couple of months. There was a two-day summit in Milwaukee that the Legion sponsored. It was the National Education and Credentialing Summit. And this was something that was promoted by the White House in April. And uh, they talked about the, the shortage of workers in a number of industries, including truck driving. Right now, we're looking at a shortage of 80,000 truck drivers, and that number can probably triple before you know it. Also, cybersecurity positions. There's uh, 40,000 openings there. So what this summit essentially did was identify 22 opportunities for action for stakeholders, and Jeff is going to run that down and uh, hopefully get some resolve on this. There's there's a lot of jobs that need to be filled, especially truck. I mean, if you don't have truck drivers, how are you going to get your goods and services? Exxon Valdez, probably remember that back in uh, 1989. That was huge. Oil bled into about 1,300 miles of coastline. In fact, there's still some oil. That's being found today, 32 years later. Jeff's been working on this story for a while, and he's going to run down uh, what he learned. And apparently, there's been some changes. There's been some legislation. Uh, There was a bill passed a year later called the Oil Pollution Act. But the bottom line here is nobody was really in charge when that happened. And uh, the Coast Guard, from what I understand, now has some more um, leverage in calling the shot, should this happen again? The other issue is the uh, Major Richard Starr Act. This is a, a bill that is currently in the House as well as the Senate. And sadly, this is legislation that seeks to correct an unfair tax which affects more than 50,000 combat injured veterans. Now, here's the deal. For them, VA disability compensation is deducted from their Department of Defense retirement pay. The disability benefits and retirement pay are two very different forms of compensation, two different budgets, two separate purposes. So the Legion is saying, you know what, we have a problem here. This amounts to a disabled veterans tax. That's right. 
a disabled veterans tax. They want to put an end to it. They do have bipartisan support in the House as well as the Senate. But we're at that time of the year. I mean, we're in a lame duck. I don't know if anything's going to get passed. Hopefully it'll be reintroduced in the uh, new Congress. And there's a good article. If you uh, are a member of the Legion, uh, there's a QR code that you can go to and kind of urge the Legion to uh, step up their campaign, which they're doing, and kind of link up to members of Congress to get this done. Rich Fiesta will be joining us later in the show on behalf of the Alliance for Retired Americans, retiredamericans.org. And the bottom line, we're going to kind of take a look at what happened at the polls last week where Democrats pretty much defied expectations. You heard that there was going to be a red wave. Well, that didn't happen. It was more like a red ripple. Now, the Republicans will take charge of the House. That could mean some problems for Social Security and Medicare. Rich will touch on that. He's also going to do a state-by-state wrap-up of what happened at the polls, Arizona for one, where there were some dressed up in military fatigues to intimidate voters. It's just amazing. Just amazing. And lastly, Rich has some words on Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who announced yesterday that she's stepping down from her leadership position. She's still going to be in Congress, but she's no longer going to be in a leadership position. She's passing the baton. And uh, if you want to see the complete release, just go to retiredamericans.org. Now for a brief look into the world of labor, the segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, today being Friday is the last active day for National Apprenticeship Week. There were uh, activities happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And today it's public service apprenticeship and veterans in apprenticeship. Sean McGarvey heads the uh, North America's Building Trades Unions, and uh, he issued this statement on uh, Apprenticeship Week. As our system expands to meet the demands for new workers in these critical infrastructure jobs, and you know there's a lot We are committed to recruiting more women, communities of color, indigenous people, veterans, and the justice involved for these new opportunities in the unionized construction industry. That's why we are pleased to be part of the Labor Department's efforts like National Apprenticeship Week and look forward to helping continue to elevate and showcase this proven model to other industries as well as the American public. Yes, it's a proven model, no doubt about that. It's pretty pretty much known as the gold standard when it comes to uh, apprenticeship programs. Workers at over 100 Starbucks locations around the country went on strike yesterday. They called this the Red Cup Rebellion. Why? Because it was planned to coincide with the coffee chain's Red Cup Day kickoff to the holiday season. Starbucks workers United reports it was the largest coordinated action of the Starbucks union movement yet. Yes, over 100 locations. Most of them were concentrated in the Northeast and the Midwest, and then there was a scattering in California. But, uh, yeah, it got a lot of national attention. The International Association of Machinists has filed a petition with the U.S. Labor Board, the National Labor Relations Board, seeking to represent around 80 Apple employees in St. Louis, Missouri. The workers are seeking to make their store the third among Apple's roughly 
272 U.S. locations to unionize. This follows successful organizing campaigns by the machinists in Maryland in June and by the CWA last month in Oklahoma. Employees have said that workers at dozens of stores are discussing similar moves. Now, if the labor board holds an election and workers vote to unionize, the company would be legally obligated to negotiate over working conditions at the store. And by the way, the machinists also filed a separate claim against Apple with the NLRB accusing the company of violating federal law by holding mandatory anti-union meetings, threatening retaliation, and telling staff that organizing would be futile. Same old story, right? Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Jeff Stouffer on behalf of the American Legion coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot there is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are Steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter if there's anybody left working at Twitter. Yesterday was kind of D-Day at Twitter, and uh, Elon Musk said, if you don't step up to do your job, work long hours, you might as well leave the company. And that's what they did. A lot of the people left the company. So we don't know how many people are working at Twitter. We don't know how long that operation is going to be going. But nonetheless, you can still try to check us out on Twitter. Hey, uh, before we get to uh, Jeff Stouffer, I just want to do a shout-out here. The uh, ULA sponsor, their Unsung Heroes of the labor movement last night in uh, downtown Cleveland, Ohio. They did this at First Energy Stadium where the Browns play. And uh, they saluted 10 unsung heroes and two friends of the ULA. Unfortunately, those two friends had passed away. But uh, we had representation from the American Federation of Musicians, the uh, Ohio Education Association, American Federation of Government Employees, a lot of UAW members there. Also, the uh, Firefighters, Workers United, and uh, I might have missed a few. But anyway, what a wonderful night. 
And again, the whole idea is to salute the people that go beyond the call of duty. They work extra hours. They do labor walks. They do everything they can for their union to make sure that their union grows. So great event on behalf of the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org. I'm sure they'll be showing some pictures from last night. And I had the opportunity to once again emcee that event. So thank you, Dave Meganhart, who we feature here on America's Workforce. Right now, let's go to Indianapolis. Join one of our regulars. That would be Jeffrey Stouffer on behalf of the American Legion, legion.org. This is the time we preview the next month's edition. But first and foremost, you know, this is a National Apprenticeship Week. And uh, this story fits in perfectly because you got a lot of military vets that have a difficult time connecting with work. Jeffrey Stouffer, talk to me about this um, National Education and Credentialing Summit. Now, it happened right before the Labor Day weekend, but we're getting some results on that. And there's a lot of opportunities out there for military vets. Number one, truck driving. Wow. Let's let's get into that. Hey, welcome to the show. Talk to me about this. Thanks, Flash. Great to be with you again. Yeah, this is a major priority for the American Legion, and it has been for a very long time. We've been working this issue since the late 1990s, really. And it really came to a massive crescendo, I think, uh, during our national convention when our <clears throat> Veterans Employment and Education Commission had a had a National Education and Credentialing Summit in Milwaukee. And they brought together, you know, representatives of industry, academia, um, labor, the uh, Department of Labor, the Department of Education, the Department of Defense, to really throw their arms around two problems. One being the, uh, you know, the the need to get these veterans who have served in, you know, highly skilled capacities in the military to get a leg up or accelerated uh, credentialing training going before they discharge or at least give them a, a leg up if they've already been doing these these things and have, have you know successfully trained in driving truck driving or hazardous material handling or even cybersecurity or something like that so that they're on their way and they don't have to start at chapter one when they come out so um, this thing brought together task force movement which is the White House's big, you know, movement to to uh, get the supply chain, you know, repaired and get people back into the economy in the post-COVID economy. And, uh, you know, it just task force movement really was the driver of the of the summit. And we just released uh, the American Legion just released a full report about everything that was basically accomplished. And you know what I what amazes me or interests me about this a lot is is it it touches so many parts of what the American Legion is interested in. And most a prominent part of that being military recruitment. You know, um, when we can we're having a hard time getting qualified recruiting, getting recruitment going, you know, to only, you know, we had a report from out of the summit last summer, the that only 23 percent of those who apply or seek to enlist in the military actually qualify. And um, so there's a kind of a, a, a war for talent in the military, just like there is an industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And and one of the things we want to be able to do is we want as as military recruiters, they want to be able to say, you know, if you you know jump in and you want to you maybe you're not going to go to college necessarily right out of high school or something like that, but you can get a leg up in an industry that's in need. Maybe it's HVAC or maybe it's maybe it's something to do with with um, auto. Uh, repair or auto uh, work and that that sort of thing, or it's certain credentialed industries, and certainly truck driving. You know, the, they brought up the point at the, at the summit that at the time of the summit they were looking at eighty thousand you know openings in the truck driving industry. That was one of the reasons things have been so slow to get to places. And their their estimation was that it was going to grow to even more, you know, like three hundred thousand in the next couple of years, unless we got something changed. And the summit was really uh, identified what they call twenty two different quote unquote opportunities for action. So all of all, all the stakeholders, the veterans groups, academia, industry, um, the uh, labor and everybody can work together to, you know, sort of advance a lot of key points. I'll just bring up a couple of them. One of which was to kind of like dispel any misconceptions about truck driving as a career, mm-hmm. because it is paying well, there are benefits and there, there's a lot going on in the trucking and a lot of opportunities in the trucking industry. And we wanted to, you know, just, uh, elevate the awareness of that. We're going to be doing some magazine pieces about veterans who have chosen that field and the value of having that kind of a career after they get out of the service um, in the next few months. <clears throat> and then um, really importantly, and, and importantly to, you know, the apprentice week, national apprentice week uh, interests is these, there are some of these apprenticeship programs that are sort of, um, emerging and DOD skill bridge is one, um, where we're, where active duty military are working in specific, you know, industries and fields, um, kind of like, um, on the job training sort of thing to get an apprenticeship started in a particular field in the last six, seven months before they discharge. They're doing these on bases. And so mm-hmm. um, DOD SkillBridge is one of them. But there are other apprenticeship programs, the Department of Labor and uh, the Department of Defense. Uh, they call it COOL, Credentialing Opportunities Online. And, you know, trying to get uh, get these service personnel. One of the issues of young service personnel is once they, once they discharge, you know, we've seen study after study that show they don't know what they're going to do after they get out of the military. And it's, it's kind of a shock to the system when you come out and you find out uh, just exactly what that military support meant for housing, food, and in your lifestyle, especially if you've got a young family. So the, the summit produced a very thorough report and is going to be uh, sort of, it's got, you know, multiple planks that we're going to be pushing. The American Legion is pushing. This is an American Legion um, report that is on our on our website at legion.org and it is a uh, you know I think one of the most important I think moments in our in our history in terms of helping veterans make that transition into civilian careers and it comes at a time when we as a nation need those veterans and need more and more people to work in these specialized career fields. 
Jeff, let me ask you, this is a very comprehensive report, and, and I thank you for uh, sharing it with our listeners. But I'm just wondering, where does it go from here? I, I know it's kind of like a call call to action. We, we need to do something about this. We need to connect these vets with these careers. How, how is that going to be done? Do you, do you have an answer to that right now? Well, the and it's it's coming in stages. First of all, task force movement. They have a website. It's a it's a federal you know task force that is has developed a program for accelerated credentialing processes in two fields of need. One is truck driving. The other being cybersecurity. And those two areas where the, where industry is really hunting for those for those those people, they have a program that you can jump into and get the whole process to become trained, uh, credentialed, licensed to work in those areas sped up. So task force movement is a, is a, has actual, you know, tangible projects and programs for veterans to, to, uh, to pursue, to, to get into that. Then we are going to, you know, continue to drive, you know, uh, the, the, um, Use, use of GI Bill um, benefits for, you know, licensing and credentialing in more fields and more industries mm-hmm. run into, run into a few issues that it, it, you can, it, it's, it's kind of a, a scattered story because state by state, different credentialing requirements, different licensing requirements. So we can't like have a blanket, you know, all veterans get an accelerated, you know, a leg up in credentialing in whatever industry in every state, but we have done it state by state and have gotten states and in Congress uh, federally, we we're getting made, we've made a lot of progress, but um, state by state where state licensing and, and credentialing is kind of a, you know, kind of depends on that state's policies and, and laws. That's where we're trying to, you know, make, make as many inroads as we can. And that comes down to lobbying and communicating mm-hmm. with, you know, elected representatives. Yeah. 50 states, 50 different uh, sets of credentialing. Yeah. There, there's a right. lot that needs to be fixed here. And I'm so glad we're discussing this uh, for years now. You and I have been talking about those skills that our young people learn in the military and then they come here and it just does not transfer. Those credentials do not transfer, but, the good news, and because of your efforts at the Legion, we're seeing we're seeing some progress here. So we can uh, uh, because we need to. When I saw that eighty thousand truck driver yeah. openings, and then you're saying it could go to three hundred thousand. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. How are we going to get our goods and services in America if we don't have truck drivers? That, and then the cybersecurity thing. That's another issue. I mean, you hear hacking reports all the time. And then you got obviously confidential information that needs to be protected. So there's a lot that uh, needs to be done, but at least it's it's moving in the right direction. Jeff Stofer on our live line today with the American Legion magazine. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to tell you about the Exxon Valdez. Many many years later, and the lessons learned. Rich Fiesta will be joining us later in the show on behalf of the. Alliance for Retired Americans. Back in a few minutes. Don't go away. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. 
The men and women of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, LIUNA members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by LIUNA at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit SurveyAndBallotSystems.com to learn more. The heat and frost insulators and allied workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron Workers, the sky's the limit. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin Jeff Stouffer on behalf of the American Legion magazine. Let's talk about that December issue. Boy, I remember that day. Exxon Valdez, Captain Joe Hazelwood, having a little too much to drink. And then all of a sudden, we've got the largest oil spill probably in the world's history. (laughs) So you took a look back at this, and I I like your uh, subtitle, Coast Guard Industry Community Vow to Never Forget Lessons of a Disaster that pretty much changed everything, and it certainly did. Jeff, talk to me about this story. Well, I this 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 story. You know, I had this story teed up to do um, just as COVID was hitting, and so it kind of got delayed, and so I didn't get get up to Alaska. I had another a uh, couple other things I was doing in Alaska at that time last April, and so I said, well, I'm going to go out to Valdez and work on this because I knew that the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard station there, and the the um, the the community and everything had really you know sort of changed their whole way of operating of course because it, nothing about what happened in on good friday of 1989 was good it was a complete disaster it was at the time i think the biggest oil spill in history it's been surpassed since then <clears throat> but um but what one of the biggest questions that came out of the the issue back then was who is in charge? And they were, everybody was, it was that classic case of people pointing fingers in different directions, whether it was Exxon, whether it was the Coast Guard, whether it was, um, you know, whoever in the community was, was supposed to be taking charge of the cleanup and the, the disaster response. Well, since then, over the years, 
the the Prince William Sound Regional Citizens Advisory Council has was formed formed as a result of the spill, and it brings together all the stakeholders and importantly commercial fishermen. And I've interviewed in the story. I've interviewed Pat Day, who is a longtime commercial fisherman, and these fishermen are all um, contracted now, and they train a couple times a year to do spill disaster, spill response, and disaster relief. And you know, because during the at the time of the spill, the, anybody who had a boat was quickly you know you know hired up to go out and help with this. To help control this oil spill. I mean, it was 450 miles of oil all across that, that southern Alaska coast. So <clears throat> what they learned from that was that the, the commercial fishing industry is a huge alliance in spill response because they can quickly convert those, you know, trawlers, those, those fishing boats into, you know, uh, oil uh, control operations that can drag heavy weights and can put up boom to you know separate off the the oil but anyway the 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 key component one one of the key components out of this is that they determined that in the event of an emergency the u.s coast guard has the authority to assume command and that was kind of the military angle that i took on it in the in the story but it isn't just the military it doesn't isn't just the coast guard i mean it is it is a consortium of people whose lives depend on that sound when and they still you know it's still the you know it's still the the mouth of the of the big pipeline that comes off the north slope and they are still uh, running big super tankers in and out of there every day so you know at any given moment something bad could happen and they talk about this the people that I talk to that say they we know one thing that it we it may not have happened since 1989, but it could happen tomorrow. Another another tragedy. And um, you know the the key point here is complacency. We never talk about the thing. We never talk about the preparation for things that don't that that don't happen frequently. But Valdez has made a point, having been you know hit with this 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 tragedy this environmental and economic and really national security tragedy in 1989 and what they have done to sort of round up the troops everybody who's got a stake in it to put together one of the most comprehensive spill response programs in the world mm-hmm. so now after exxon valdez was sort of the 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 the, the, the disaster story of the 80s in terms of oil spills it is now a model that is used worldwide and how they do it and how they operate and the way that they get you know people together to to work on this and so the the spill what i found out when i went to valdez little town little town hard to get to and um what they what i found out is that that the sort of the reverberations of the spill are still very much uh, alive and well. I mean, people still think about what happened about at that time. I mean, little town of about 3,000 people, all of a sudden they've got 11,000 media and uh, the, all of the politicians in, in, in not just in North America, but from around the world are there to, you know, see how, you know, it's a very, you know, 
you remember the images of the birds, the seabirds and the otters and the oh, yeah. Yeah. animals coming out that were covered in oil and what a horrible sight it was. And so, you know, there was a lot of visual there and it was on every, it was on every major network for a long time. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, it turned the town upside down for a while. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if that happened today with the with the changes in the media today and, and how fast we learn things. It would be monumental. Here's the crazy thing about the story. I didn't realize this. The oil is still there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> 32 years ago, this happened. And apparently, uh, uh, one of the uh, person, I guess his name is Joe Lally. Yeah. He keeps he keeps a jar of oil that's that's covered uh, on a daily basis. He said you you don't see it. It's submerged. It's buried under cobblestone, sand, or gravel, but it's still there. It it, it doesn't go away. Thirty two years away. later, amazing. Hey, let me let me clarify something here in your conversation. Now it, it sounds like the Coast Guard has a little more authority now in, in case and God forbid this happens again. But you're right. I mean, accidents do happen. We, we learn from them. We definitely learn. I see we passed some legislation, this uh, Oil Pollution Act of 1990, but right. you never know. But the but the, the, the military angle on this, the Coast Guard, they're, they're, uh, I guess they have, and if you can clarify it, a little right. more uh, a little more authority to do something, to act faster should this happen again? Right, and they, they do. They're, they're, that's that's that was one of the one of the results of the spill was how do we, you know, in, instead of is it is it Alaska, is it Exxon, is it is it the you know is it the Coast Guard, is it the local? You know, nobody really had an answer for how to how, who was to take to take charge of the problem, and um, and that clarified this clarified it. The Coast Guard would have the first line of authority on it, and that's the coast guard's role you know uh, around the world is you know is in you know environmental uh disaster management and, and that sort of thing is a major uh one of the many uh important functions of the coast guard and you know making sure that commercial um you know shipping is functioning according to a the law and b the best practices and all of that and a lot of the best practices that we have now for uh navigating those big super tankers in and out of you know in and out of places like valdez um all of the a lot of those conditions were changed by that oil pollution act of 1990 which comes a year after the spill Mm-hmm. And it was basically all of a lot of the lessons, like how many, how many uh, tugboats you have, and then the double liners that they have a double hull composition requirement for the big super tankers now, and so that if you hit a Bly reef or something like that, you're not just puncturing a hole in the in the ship, and all the oil comes out. You're puncturing a hole in the outer shell, and then there's another shell. So it's yeah. a, it's a it's it, a lot of stuff came out of this, and. And, you know, I think that it, it, it but uh, the, so much of the town and the community is built on what was learned in 1989. And very interestingly, back in 1964, the entire town of Valdez was in a completely different location when an earthquake and tsunami just annihilated the original Valdez. And the town had to basically move away to another location where it is now on Prince William Sound 
And, um, you know, the guy, the, the fisherman that I talked to, he lost family members. And I think there's like 31 people who were killed in the earthquake. And it also happened on Good Friday in 1964. So Good Friday is kind of one of those days that the people of Valdez can't wait to see pass. Um, yeah. Good Friday uh, is anyway, not a good Friday there. That's not a good sure. Friday. No, 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 they had a bad <laughs> Friday. Yeah. Jeez. So, Okay, a couple anyway. minutes left here. I want to get into uh, the Major Richard Starr Act. And, and sadly, uh, we're, we're dealing with vets, disabled vets, who might get screwed on their benefits because of, uh, because of policy. Can you explain what's going on here? It is. It's 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 another issue like credentialing that the Legion has fought hard in Congress. The major Richard Starr Act is this congressional session's you know legislation to correct what we think is a very unfair and unjust tax on military retirees who have also are disabled or receive VA disability benefits, and the amount by which they're, they're they're um, deducted. Those, those they get uh, their their benefits are reduced, or their pension is reduced by the amount of their benefits um, that they get. They're completely two different things. You serve you serve in the military. You retire from the military. You get a military pension, and then you're disabled as well. And, and disability, and it, this affects about fifty thousand three hundred. I mean, step by step, the Congress has. Has, has changed this, but there's still over 50,000 veterans who have to uh, who have their, their VA disability benefits deducted dollar for dollar from their Department of Defense retirement. So, you know, it's like they, they come from two different budgets. They're for two very distinctly different reasons. And we, we call it the disabled veterans tax. And it's really... Um, something, and I think Congress understands it, and they make steps to, to change it. They have um, actually, you know, over the years improved it so that if you have a disability rating of fifty percent or greater, then you can qualify for concurrent receipt of both. But um, anything less than that, you don't qualify. So if you know, if you get a, if you get some sort of, if you're, you know, thirty percent disabled or forty percent disabled. You're, and you get a disability compensation from a military-caused disability, you're, you're going to get, um, you're going to have to forfeit from your, from your pension, even mm-hmm. if you had, a, if you retired. So, and you know, you, if you retire after you know 20 years of service in the military, and you're, uh, and you're, you're 38 years old or something like that, or 40 years old, that's a, that's a kind of, a, that's kind of a big bite, um, and it's, and it's also pretty unfair and we've been fighting it and major richard star act we have there it has good co-sponsorship and good support in both the house and the senate but again we got to push these kinds of bills over the over the goal line and yeah make sure that veterans don't forfeit their their uh, va compensation because they made a career of the military well, hopefully in the next Congress we can see some uh, some passage on this. This is the uh, Major Richard Starr Act. The current legislation is House Resolution 1282 in the Senate. It's uh, Senate Bill 344. That may change in the new Congress. But if you are a subscriber to the American Legion, well, you're, you're a member of the American Legion, 
you'll get a subscription to the magazine. And on page 36, there's a QR code so you can use your uh, your smartphone and support the American Legion in their effort to end, to end the disabled veterans tax. So I'm glad you're doing that. Hopefully we'll we'll see some resolve to this issue because it's just not fair. It's just not fair. All right, Jeffrey, great job as usual. You take care. Best of the holidays. We got to Thanksgiving next week and then uh, Christmas right after that. So we'll be talking to you in the month of December. Stay safe. Enjoy the holiday. Okay, my friend? Sounds great, Flash. Thanks. You got it. Rich Fiesta is with the Alliance for Retired Americans, and he is coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the United Labor Agency. They connect people with employment, 216-666-2185. You can find them online at ulagency.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's CWAD4.org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union there. Before we get to a rich fiesta, just want to do a shout out and a plug here for one of our sponsors. That would be the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Yesterday, they released their annual Made in America holiday gift guide. And they have gifts from all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico. So hats off to the team there at the Alliance. And uh, we'll talk more about this with Scott Paul when he joins us next month. But uh, do check that out. American Manufacturing. .org. All right, let's go to Washington, D.C. right now. Welcome one of our regulars, and he's a pretty happy camper because the red wave was not a ripple. And I'll tell you, they were really active in a number of states, and I'll tell you, Arizona was one that everybody in the country was watching. A lot of seniors there, a lot of Alliance members. Rich Fiesta, you got to be a happy camper today, huh, brother? Well, I hope common sense prevailed in a lot of the elections, and um, we hopefully uh, had something to do with that with uh, older Americans. Yeah, you uh, 
you did some pretty incredible work there. Why don't you tell our listeners, uh, I mean, a lot of this is the ground game because, you know, I mean, this this election, the midterms I'm referring to, was one of the most expensive elections. A lot of TV advertising, radio advertising, social media. But uh, bottom line, it's boots on the ground, motivating members, union members. What did you do? Let, let's focus on Arizona, if you don't mind. What What did you do there? Well, First, in the Senate race, we had maybe one of the, if not the most contrasting views of candidates on retiree issues. I mean, as far back as June, Blake Masters, the Republican candidate, said he was for privatizing Social Security. He said it loud and in a strong voice and repeatedly uh, at debates and um, did nothing really to walk it back. So... We had him versus Senator Mark Kelly, who had been terrific, who has a 100% lifetime voting record uh, with us on our congressional voting record. You can always get it at retiredamericans.org uh, in his two years, and he was running for a six-year term. So that certainly got us fired up uh, so our Arizona Alliance went to work helping Senator Kelly as much as we could and advertising that uh, we're running against a flat-out privatizer uh, who was for it. Mm-hmm. Secondly, uh, several weeks before the election, Arizona had previously always been a state that is used to voting by mail and voting uh, early by mail, either in a drop box or through the postal system. So their drop boxes, as they've had for a number of years, uh, went out to the various places around the state. And in Maricopa County, which is Phoenix, uh, what showed up was, frankly, a group of vigilantes, people coming uh, with wearing masks, wearing tactical gear, open carry weapons with them, and video cameras filming voters and their license plates who were doing their civic duty of voting, uh, and at sometimes uh, harassing and yelling at them. So we went to court, and over a couple of hearings from a federal judge, got a temporary restraining order uh, against these vigilantes and a, and a group, I hate even to say their name, it's, it's ironic, uh, it's called Clean Elections USA, uh, that they could not film people or their license plates, that if they brought weapons near a drop box, Arizona state law is any uh, people who want to politic have to be 75 feet away. Well, the federal judge on the restraining order said if you wear tactical gear or have a weapon, you have to be 250 feet away, and then made them take off all the lies on their websites about early voting and drop boxes and put court-ordered language on what the law is in Arizona, that you can use drop boxes and how to use them as well. Uh, that, we hoped, helped people safely bring a vote to a drop box without harassment or intimidation. I mean, this is America in, 19, in 2022. Yeah. So we're very proud of that and very Amazing. proud of our seniors who went to court, stood up uh, against this kind of uh, voter intimidation. Wow. It's amazing what you had to do. I mean, here we are. This country's almost 250 years old, and uh, we're dealing with this kind of garbage right now. Just amazing. Now, now, was that, like, exclusive to Arizona? What about other states? What, well, Pennsylvania was a, was a close one, too, with Fetterman and Oz. Did any of that kind of stuff happen there? 
not that we know of in uh, Pennsylvania. The problem we had in Pennsylvania is that um, the Republican National Committee in Lehigh County, which is the third largest um, metropolitan area of the state, uh, went in and tried to have the drop boxes removed in that county. Because in Pennsylvania, um, the counties have great discretion on whether or not even to have them, and then how many. And they came in with a bunch of crazy, um, unsubstantiated theories. And uh, we went to court, intervened in state court there, and uh, won the right to keep their five drop boxes around uh, a very large populated county. Amazing. And then in Michigan, Michigan was a bright spot. You know, Gretchen Whitmer was reelected. That was a tough race there. And uh, the legislature uh, turned around for the first time in decades. I would imagine you had quite a presence there. I mean, that's a pretty heavy unionized state. Uh, Yes, uh, we have a very strong, like um, Pennsylvania and Arizona, strong Alliance for Retired Americans chapter there. the labor movement there, obviously, starting with the auto workers, uh, have a terrific retiree program. Steel workers, AFSCME, also very good programs. Postal workers, you can go right down the list. Uh, but it was hard work uh, for Governor Whitmer, who, you know, she had been threatened, you know, with kidnapping over right. the last couple of years in this craziness. And uh, she won a relatively easy reelection, and uh, for the first time in 40 years, the state Senate flipped to the Democrats. First thing we got to do there is repeal right to work. Exactly. Yeah, I know. We're trying to get the the head of the uh, Labor Federation on over there. I know he's really busy. That's uh, Ron Bieber. And he did a bang up job getting the vote out there. Yeah, it's been really difficult. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that believe elections are tainted in America and, and they're work, working diligently. It's hard to believe at some of these elections have yet been called. I, I think there's some in California. I, I don't. What, what are you hearing in California? Last a couple of days, there was one that didn't even have 50% of the vote counted yet. You hearing anything about that? Well, in California, it does take a while, first because of the numbers, but California allows ballots that are postmarked by Election Day and gives them another week or so uh, to come into the county election offices. So it's as the mail's coming in, they try and count them, but I think there's still about five to seven races there that um, may not have been called. And um, other states, um, you know, that have all mail-in ballots, um, Washington, Oregon, think most of those are in, but just the enormity of the size of California always makes us wait uh, another week to 10 days. Well, the bottom line on this, Rich, uh, they they put away the extremism. A lot of the voters said uh, enough of that and we're going to move forward. They wanted to protect Social Security and Medicare. There's no doubt about that. My concern is uh, the new Congress here. You you know the House is going to go to the Republican side. There's going to be more attacks on Social Security and Medicare. Uh, The good news is that it'll probably die in the Senate. I'd I'd like to get your point of view of what lies ahead here. Well, we at the Alliance are worried about Social Security and Medicare in a new Republican-led House, along with the new provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act, like $35 insulin next year and free vaccines. There were four members of the House who were running to be chair of the Budget Committee, very important committee because they do the blueprint of how spending will be. All four of them, Flash, want to take the debt ceiling and hold it hostage 
for Medicare and Social Security cuts. Uh, that's all part of their platform of each of the four of these people. So, of course, we're very worried uh, about that because they're publicly saying it. And as of January 3rd, the Republicans are going to be in charge of the U.S. House of Representatives. So we still, the alliance, have to roll up our sleeves, go to work. And uh, just because we had an election where we won many good races, we still have a lot of challenges in front of us. So, Rich, just these four people, these four people can have influence over Congress to to really hold things up and uh, and screw things up for retirees. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, and not only for retirees, but for the economy as a whole, because the debt ceiling um, every year or two needs to be raised. So the full faith and credit of the United States, both at home and around the world, is met. So it's a very, very dangerous game they're playing. I guess we'll see what happens here in the new Congress. But uh, the new Congress will not see Nancy Pelosi as speaker. And I saw your release. I was just wondering if you could uh, share with our listeners your thoughts on on Nancy Pelosi. Go ahead. Well, uh, obviously, she was a transformational figure on so many levels in American history and will be regarded as so as one of the great speakers in our 200 plus years of this republic. For us at the Alliance for Retired Americans, she was there every step of the way uh, from fighting George Bush's privatization of Social Security through the Affordable Care Act, uh, through also most recently the Inflation Reduction Act, that she understood the needs of seniors, what they need in terms of having a secure retirement that started with a secure Social Security and Medicare systems uh, and was relentless. Uh, and as you know, she had a special uh, heart uh, place in her heart for children that extended through the whole age continuum and included seniors, too. She came to our conferences when we had them in D.C., always had time for us and our members both here and in her district, and she is that transformational figure that historians will be writing about for generations. Rich Fiesta, on behalf of the Alliance for Retired Americans, he serves as a executive director. You can find more at retiredamericans.org. You uh, stay safe. Enjoy the holiday. We'll talk next month. Okay, brother? Always great being with you, Flash. Thank you very much. All right, that's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we're going to check with Labor's International in Minnesota and North Dakota and Roofers Local 69. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.